0: Father, we, we approach and we are in your presence with fear and trembling. At the same time, with rejoicing because of what you have accomplished in and through our Lord Jesus Christ. We praise you that what makes our gathering and the various other gatherings of your people across this city and across this world special, unique is that you are in our midst. You are here. You are here. We are on holy grounds because God is here. And how is it that, Lord, sinful people like us can be in your presence, holy God, and not be consumed? Thank you so much for making that possible in and through our Lord Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection, and by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we pray that you will, by your Holy Spirit, take our minds and our hearts and fix them on Jesus. Help us to think of him. Help us to ponder him. Help us to respond to him by faith. Lord, help our unbelief that we may believe completely that our wills will be quickened towards obedience unto the king our lord jesus in his name we pray amen now when somebody asks you what is your name what is the person asking what is your name let me ask you what is your name <laughs> now I'm asking <laughs> your name is glory all right, thank you. Who else? Prof, what is your name? Your name is Nanea Simpson. Who else can I ask? Those who don't like to be put on the spot. Mrs. Tieku, what is your name? <laughs> your name is Gloria. Now, your name isn't just a label. Your name tells something about you. Now, for those of you who do not know, for those who are visiting, we we have begun a series through the book of Exodus. And we have titled it, Knowing and Walking with God. As we, we journey through with the help of the Holy Spirit through this book, we want to know God better and love him and respond to him. We want to walk with him the way he wants us to walk with him. Now, if you were here last week, In chapter 2 verse 23 and 25 that was the end of chapter 2 we are told that of all that was happening to Israel the enslaved people God remembered God remembered his covenant God remembered that he had pledged himself promised something and it wasn't just to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob even before that God had set out to do something, to redeem a people for himself. And he had determined that through Abraham, and through Abraham's son, and Abraham's grandson, Jacob, he is going to have a people for himself. So keep that in mind. God has set out to have a people for himself. And then chapter 3, verse 6. When God introduces himself, almost every now and then, he introduces himself as, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Now, what is God doing anytime time he introduces himself that way? When he comes and he says to whoever, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He's saying, I'm the God of the covenant. I'm the God of the promise. I am the God who initiated the covenant. I am the faithful God who oversees that this covenant is actually happening. It happens. So keep in mind the end of chapter 2. God remembered his covenant. And you remember what we said about God remembering. God remembering is not God recollecting like we do. Oh, I forgot to be there even though we agreed. Something happened and I forgot. No, that's not it. Anytime God remembers, it means that God is now going to put his covenant into action. He is going to execute his promises. He's going to fulfill them. So end of chapter 2, he remembered his covenant with Abraham, his covenant with Isaac, his covenant with Jacob. Chapter 3, verse 6, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And then he says in chapter 3, verse 8, I have come down. You see what it means for God to remember? And God remembered. What does it mean that he remembered? He has come down to execute his promises, to fulfill them. I have come down to rescue. It means his people are in trouble, and we know that from chapter 1. They are enslaved in Egypt. Something is holding them. Something doesn't want them to have their freedom and be a people. But the reason is that they were such a threat to Pharaoh. When he looked at the way they were multiplying, he thought, oh, when war breaks out, these guys will join, they will attack, and then they will leave the country. Well, God's purpose was always that they will leave the country. They will leave Egypt and go to be where God wants them to be. So I have come down, God says, I have come down to rescue them. But look at what lies in the middle. Chapter 2, the end. I'm the God of the covenant. I'm going to do it. Chapter 3, verse 6. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. I have come down to execute my covenants. And guess what is in the middle? Chapter chapter 3 and verse 1. Well, it's not in the middle. It's at the beginning, but it's in the middle. You've got to keep this in mind. Moses, Moses, you remember Moses when we talked about him? That baby who was rescued by the Lord through the daughter of Pharaoh in the water. Moses grew up, and when he was about plus or minus 40 years, he thought that he could rescue the Hebrews, the people of Israel, in his own way. And then it it backfired. So he had to run away. Now he's 80 years old since he ran away. Now when you are reading the book, you don't get that. Well, it's there. Read the other parts of the scriptures. Moses has been away for another 40 years. He's an older man. And guess what he's doing? Uh, Moses, who grew up in the University of Egypt, wealthy, powerful, politically connected. He is, what are we told? Let me read it for you. Moses was keeping his father-in-law, Jethro's flock. <laughs> now think about it. If you don't think about it, you don't get it. This is, this is a guy who maybe, just maybe, some ancient historian says that maybe this guy was going to be a pharaoh. He was going to be the next Ocheny or, or two or whatever. But here he is in the wilderness somewhere. He was a humble shepherd, 40 years on. He's uh, looking after his father. know, It's not even his own flock. It's his father-in-law. Guess the thing that may be going on in um, Moses' mind. He thought he could save God's people. Now here I am, sitting somewhere in Midian. I don't even know where I am. And I'm only a shepherd. All the dreams that I had, all the aspirations of saving God's people has come to nothing. I just wake up in the morning, my wife Zipporah feeds me, I do what I need to do, I help the boys, and then I come to the wilderness, and then I look after the flock, and I'm sitting here morning, afternoon, evening, I water the flock, and then I go back to Jethro's house. That's all has become of me, no. No. Whereas Moses was there, minding his own business, the God of the covenants is going to show himself that for him, time, the passage of time, doesn't change his faithfulness. He keeps his covenants. By this time, Moses' sense of confidence as a guy of the palace and the connection, and the education, and the wealth, and the power is gone. It's all gone. Forty years on. Forty years is enough time to be humbled. Now he's wiser. I've never been 80 before, but I'm sure by the time you hit 80, that's why older people tend to be wiser than younger men, like me, right? Right? By the time you go through that, the Lord has humbled you. Talk with any um, older man and you'll get it. I was talking to a group of younger pastors and I was saying to them, this is what I have learned in my short life at this point. If you do not have an older, it doesn't need to be a pastor, an older man, in this case man, woman, with whom you can walk, go find one, it will make you wiser. Anyway, so Moses has learned he's humbled. <laughs> Later in Numbers, we'll be told that there is no one on the face of the earth more humble than Moses. It didn't just come like that. It came through God, taking him through this experience. But whereas Moses is sitting there, as I said, God is working out his purposes. He has learned, Moses, I cannot save myself, let alone save God's people, because I think I am of the palace. And understand Egyptian politics. That is not what will save God's people. How do we know that Moses has been humbled? Verse 10 of chapter 3 tells us something. He says, God said to him, come or go. I will send you to Pharaoh so that you will bring my people, the children of Israel, out from Egypt. You, I'm going to send you. And what was Moses' response? Who am I? Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Now, if you are not surprised, I'm surprised you are not surprised. Moses shouldn't talk this way. Because for 40 years, you of all people, you understand Egypt. You understand royalty and politics and all that. You know your way around in Egypt. Well, that is not why God is sending him. So his response... It's actually the reality. Who am I? He has only come to this point because God has humbled him. Whilst in that process, God is working out, fulfilling his purposes. Who am I? Now, listen. When Moses asks that question, who am I to go to Pharaoh? Who am I to go to Egypt? God responds. God answers that question. By implication, God answers by saying in verse 12, Yes, I agree, you are nothing. But this is how you're going to go before Pharaoh and into Egypt. I will be with you. I will be with you. Because it is God Himself, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, He alone is the one who can fulfill. His promises. And if he calls a servant to use, it is not because of the servant. It is because of his presence. It is only because of his presence. There is no one who can bring about salvation of any human being. There is no one who can deliver any human being. There is no one who can deliver anyone from any form of enslavement except God, even if he uses someone. It is not that someone. It is the Lord. I will be with you. Who are you to think that you can save yourself, let alone save someone? So Moses is right. Who am I? And then the Lord says, I will be with you. In a sense, I agree. I will be with you. And you know that Moses is going to come up with all kinds of objections. Why he shouldn't go. I can almost sympathize with Moses. And now Moses comes to a point and he says, okay, fine. You have referred to yourself as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Tell me your name. This is a description. Now tell me your name. If I go to the people of Israel and I tell them the God of your fathers has sent uh, me to them, you know the question they will ask me. They will say, what is his name? What? is his name. Now, my African mind is immediately working because to me, name is not just a label. Name points to description of who a person is. For example, if you are a man in our culture here and you are the third son in succession, you are called what? Mensa. If you are a woman, the third daughter in succession, you are called Mansa. That is why Aunt Naomi is called Mansa. She's got three sisters. She's the third one. Now, if you ask me what is the name of the meaning of Boating, I have no idea. It's my father's name. I'm sure it has a meaning. But generally speaking, when you ask of a name and you hear it, the name tells you something about the person. And so what Moses is asking for is not, what is your label? Tell me your character. When I go to him and they ask, what is this God's name? What is his nature? What, who really is he in essence? God. This God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, who is he? Who is he? And then the Lord gives an answer. Nobody knows what it means, but at least he gives an answer. God gives his name. And what is his name? Verse 14, he says, my name is this. I am who I am. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. That is not an answer. Tell me if you are called Kofi or Yao. I am who I am. Said to the people of Israel, I am has sent you to them. If you go to the past, I am. If you come to the present, I am. If you go to the future, I am. I know what is gone. I know what is happening. I know that which will be. It doesn't change me. I am who I am all the time. I'm God. That's my name. He is who he is. No human language is able to capture the very essence. Who God really is. I am who I am. My name is I am. And when you read this in, in our Bible. The English Bible. It is that which is translated. Capital L-O-R-D. When you see it. We are told it is in the original language. Yahweh. The Lord i am who i am nobody knows what it means if you exhaust that name you probably will then have exhausted god but you can't he says i am who i am there is a question that we need to grapple with think of moses moses with fear and trembling we're going to pharaoh we're going to egypt i'm going to rescue these people and God gives me his name and he says that I am who I am. When I go and they ask me, what is his name? I would say that his name is I am. That is his name. Now, is God being unfair here? Just tell the guy your name. Well, the problem is that the guy can't contain the name. There is, how, how does it, there's no human language that Moses can understand. But God is going to act. And God is going to speak. He's going to speak, he's going to act. He's going to speak, he's going to act. By what he says and by what he does, Moses is going to get insight into I am. He's not going to exhaust it. He's going to begin to drink from this eternal name, I am. So first, how do we see I am show himself in this? First of all, When you hear, I am the Lord, you are reminded that he is the God who makes and keeps covenants. Look at verse 15. Let me read it for you. Verse 15. He says, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the God, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Whenever you hear I am, remember that this, we're talking specifically about God who makes covenants, who makes promises, who binds himself to that promise and then he keeps it. That's the first thing. Moses, remember that. I am this God. I'm not an alien God. I've been there before the foundations of the world. And it is I who made Adam and Eve and later called Abraham, and changed his name to Abraham and his wife Sarai to Sarah and made a covenant with them and passed it on. So think of that. Anytime you think of I am, think of the God who makes promises and keep it. He keeps it. He keeps those promises. Second, it's in verse 16. I am. Anytime you hear of I am, think of the God who knows more than anyone else the very thing that enslaves us what our deepest needs are. Verse 16, please look at it. Verse 16. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of of Jacob, has appeared to me saying, I have observed, I have seen, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. He knows. He knows, he hears, he sees. This is I am. I am knows it all. More than we who are enslaved will possibly begin to understand what is going on with us. He knows it, I am. More than anyone, he knows our deepest need. And third, about I am, it's in verse 17. Not only does he know it, when you hear this God of covenants, I am the Lord. You are reminded that He is the only one who is able and willing to save His people. Anytime you hear that, look at verse 17. I am is the only one who is able and willing to save His people. And fourth, when you hear I am, verse 18. It's very interesting. You might miss it if you don't pay attention. Because when you hear I am, you hear the God who saves his people so that they might serve him. He's revealing by just talking to Moses, he's revealing who he is. When he saves, he saves from, out of something to something. He saves us from serving one master, Pharaoh and Egypt, that we might serve him alone. That is his character. That is I am. From one thing, there is no freedom until we are freed from this, and not just to wander off to do our own thing, but we have a new master, the Lord. I am. He becomes our master. That is how he does his things. And you know what? The faith, he alone acts by his mighty power. So I am, the name is Rich, and I can't exhaust it. He alone acts by his mighty power to save his people. No one can stop him. Nothing can stop him. Oh, hopefully with this repetition, you're getting it. That What should we do with I am? We will come to that in a moment. When I am is fulfilling his promises, as I said at the beginning, brothers and sisters, not even the passing of time, time will change his purpose. Forty years is a lot. I've heard people say that life begins at 40. We know life begins when you are conceived and born, isn't it? But we know what they mean. Forty years. An 80-year-old man, perhaps thinking of his grandchildren, no, God hasn't finished. The passage of time won't change anything. Not even aging. I'm going to use you. You are 80. Yes, but this is the time that I'm going to use you. Not even the scarcity of resources. There aren't no resources for His people. It's very interesting when you read the very end of chapter three. When the people are about to leave, he says that, you know what? I'm going to give you favor with the Egyptians. Each woman ask them, and they will give you silver and other things. And you will use that for the journey. Unfortunately, that's the very thing they're going to use for the golden calf. We'll see that later. And when you think of I am, we're finishing the sixth and final point here. And to me, this is the most surprising and most amazing thing about I am. The sixth thing. I am is Holy. You know when Moses saw him and then Moses tried to approach, he says, "Don't come near, because the land on which you stand is holy grounds, Mount, Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai. It's holy ground because I am here. And yet, this holy God has drawn near to Moses, a sinner. <laughs> oh, you don't get it. I am holy. and the Holy God has drawn near. And he is talking to a human being. Isn't that amazing that whatever I am is, I am is able to draw near to human beings like us? I have come down. I have come down to rescue them. How did he come down? He has come down. Moses is talking to him. We see that here. How do we know that I am has actually come down and yet? Moses is not destroyed. You know what should have happened? As soon as I am appears, because of his holiness, the first thing that should happen to Moses is that he should be consumed. He should die. He should burn up. Something should happen to him. He shouldn't exist anymore. Because by his nature as a sinner, coming into contact with this holy God, you die. And yet he doesn't. How do we know that? It is the burning bush itself. Right? Look at the burning bush. Chapter 3, verse 1 to 5. Moses is looking after the flock of his father-in-law to ensure that he's always in the father-in-law's good books. And then he sees a bush burning. There is fire on the bush, but the bush is not consumed. Why is nobody surprised? oh you know this this is a problem with reading some of these true stories in the Bible we've read it time and again and so the surprise goes out of us I pray that God the Holy Spirit will cause us to be amazed in a fresh new way there is fire on the bush but the bush is not being consumed by that appearance alone when God appeared to Moses he was saying something to Moses I am has drawn near in the form of fire Yet at the same time, you will not be consumed. I will draw near such a way that I won't kill you. To even the point that you can interact with me and have fellowship with me. You talk to me, I talk to you. That is I am. That is this God. He draws near to human beings, and human beings are not destroyed. Okay, so what am I trying to do this morning? I'm just trying to paint a little bit of the picture of I am from the passage. And then I'll ask, how then should Israel respond? Forget about us for a moment. How then should Israel respond to the great I am? Number one, Israel should respond like Moses, recognizing that you are nothing unless I am's presence is with you. You are nothing except that his presence is with you. That should be Israel's response. Israel will be saved because of God's presence. God himself will go to Egypt and he will save them. Secondly, how should Israel respond? I am the Lord. He saves his people for a reason that they may worship him. That they may serve him. We saw that, isn't it? Tell Pharaoh that my people will travel three days into the wilderness and they will offer a sacrifice to me. It's not just about goats and cows and sheep being bent to the Lord. That is a picture of something. It is a picture of offering. When he has redeemed, he redeems so that Israel will offer their whole self to him. That is the essence of the sacrifice. That is why God saves. That is why they came out of Egypt, so that they may serve the Lord. Nothing else, no one else, the Lord alone. So what should be Israel's response? They should remember that they are being redeemed from Pharaoh and from Egypt, that they may serve the Lord. Redeemed from any form of bondage and addiction, and given to the Lord and to the Lord alone. Now let me finish up by coming to us. How can we know this God, this great I am, as we sang about? How can we know him today and relate today, today, as we are seated here? The same God. I'll tell you how. John chapter 8. John chapter 8, especially from verse 51 to 59. Now, it's a very long passage, John. John chapter 8. And you know what is going on? The whole story began with um, the Pharisees and the scribe, the religious leaders, let's put it that way, the Christians. (laughs) No, that's not quite exactly. But the church goers, the synagogue goers, those who uphold the law and the traditions of the fathers, they had caught a woman in adultery. So they bring this woman to Jesus and says, Our law says that such a woman ought to be stoned to death. And you know what happened? The Lord Jesus doesn't really say anything to them. He just stoops down. He begins to write on the ground. And then they were still standing there. Then he looks up and says, The one who hasn't sinned before should be the first to cast the stone. And then he continues writing on the ground. And then from the oldest to the youngest, they, began, they begin to run away. And then the story continues. The argument, con- they are challenging Jesus for who he really is. And then Jesus makes a statement that throws them off. They want to kill him. He declares to them by the woman who was caught in adultery. Number one, I overcome sin. I am the only one who can take away sin. Just as I say to her, your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. I do not condemn you at this point. So first of all, that was his declaration. That's fine. And then he goes away to make a second declaration. He said that, I overcome death itself. I overcome death itself. And then the people are going crazy. What do you mean by you overcome death? Even our father Abraham has died. And you, you are saying you overcome death. And Jesus responds, before Abraham was, I am. Let me read it for you, and then we will finish. Let me read it for you. John chapter 8. Please look at it. From verse 51. And I read. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, He will never see death. The bondage of death and the bondage of sin. He's going for it. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Now we know that you are crazy. Abraham died, as did the prophet. And yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the prophet died. Who do you make yourselves out to be? Who do you think you are? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. (laughs) But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old and have not seen Abraham. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Listen, brothers and sisters, as we finish off. How do we today know I am? We've got to listen to Jesus here. He had made two great declarations in John chapter 8. One is the power to overcome sin and to crush the enslavement of sin, whatever form it may take. The other one is to hold death itself and overcome death, such that if anyone keeps his word and trusts in him, not even death can enslave you forever, even if you die physically even if I die physically. Why is he able to say that? Why is he able to do that? How is he able to declare these things? Because he says, the God who appeared to Moses in the burning bush and introduced himself as I am, I am he. That is a staggering statement for him to make. I am has revealed himself in a person, the person of Jesus Do you know why they wanted to stone him? Because he was equating himself with I am. Yahweh, I am has appeared to us. And how would he enable us to overcome the ultimate enemy that enslaves us? The enemy of sin that so much grabs our heart. And we become so self-centered and selfish and inward looking. And think about no one else. And ultimately it crushes us through death. When we die the physical death and then we die the spiritual death. How would we overcome this? How would we be free? It is by coming to the great I am who came in the form of Jesus. And who overcame these things by the death on the cross. You know how I am dealt with the greatest enemy? Oh, he dealt with that by the cross. When he died on Calvary's cross. You know what was happening? I am in the form of a human being took sin and broke the chains of sin and took death and disarmed death so that those who come to him will be free not only for eternal life but any form of addiction now. He enables us. He helps us. Do not succumb. Anger and say that this is how I am. Do not succumb to anything and say that this is how I am. That is not what you are if you are in Christ. The great I am sets you free. Is there any sin, any form of enslavement, whether it is in our minds or in our hearts or by whatever means it would take? Look, if you are in Jesus, he is that I am of all eternity who has appeared. We have no excuse. And listen to his promise, the very same thing that he said to Moses. Moses said, who am I? He says, I will be with you. And the I am who appeared, the I am Jesus, he says to his people, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. How is it that we can be sure that we will make it through this pilgrimage in the wilderness as we wait for the new creation because I am is with us in Jesus? I am is with us in Jesus. I am is with us in Jesus. We now can be free. It's not freedom to move on to your own thing. It's freedom from this master who oppresses to this master, the I am, who gives true freedom to live for God, to become who he wants us to be. Before Abraham was, I am. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, I I will urge you to talk to him yourself. I don't know what meaning this makes to you as I attempt to explain God's holy words. Pray that where there seem to have been confusion, that God the Holy Spirit will throw his light. That you may see the great I am in Jesus and run to him. Heavenly Father, we do not even know what to pray and how to pray it, except that we ask that you open our eyes through your holy word, by the power of your spirit, that we will increasingly see the various dimensions of you, I am in the person of our Lord Jesus, show us. And not only that, please move every one of my brothers and sisters here. Move our hearts that we will realize that unless I am, is with us. Nothing. The Lord Jesus says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. We pray that not only that, that's as I am works in our lives and sets us free, that we will bear in mind that he does that so that we might serve him alone and not have any form of idols in our lives. Serve him alone and worship him alone and offer our sacrifices to him alone. Father, please do this in our hearts. Thank you that we, you have drawn near and we can also draw near because of Jesus. Because Jesus mediates. Jesus stands in. That fallen human beings can relate with the holy God in him. Please help us to believe these things. We pray all these things as we worship you. And worship you as the only great I am. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.